Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Why does Jesus tell his hearers to slow down? Why should they stop and consider what it means to be a disciple before making a commitment to becoming a Christian? Shouldn't we be making it easy for people to enter the kingdom and telling them that they can worry about the details later? Welcome back to the YouthWorks Effective Ministry Podcast, helping you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church. My name is Tim Bealharts, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Al James, who recently wrote an article on youth ministry and identity formation. How are you today, Al? Going well, thanks, Tim. Al, you've been mulling over the developmental theories put forward by James Marshall in the mid 20th century, uh, who was himself bouncing off the works of one of the giants in developmental research, Eric Erickson. Do you wanna give us the basic rundown of Marsh's key theories about identity and the idea of identity statuses? Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, he he developed this, uh, this uh, idea of identity statuses. And so on any particular question of identity, so whether it's to do with, will I be a drinker or a smoker? Where will I sit on the political spectrum? Um, all these different possible questions of identity. He said that there were two key questions as young people seek to kind of form their identity. So the first one is on that particular question of identity, have you explored the question? And then the second is on that particular question of identity, have you actually decided on where you're going to land? And so these two kind of key questions interact with one another and depending on how they they land, there's four possible what he called identity statuses. And so the first um, identity status is called identity foreclosure okay and so that is where a a young person or in fact anyone they haven't explored the question of identity and yet they have decided on the question of identity and so they call it foreclosure it's it's kind of a blinkered kind of way of approaching things um very brittle not really thinking not not having wrestled but very sure of what they think about themselves in that particular area Uh, so that's the first one identity foreclosure The second one is called identity diffusion. And that is where the young person hasn't explored that question of identity and yet, and and nor have they decided on that question of identity. And so um, they haven't made any real commitments, but nor have they wrestled with it. And so in in many ways, they just sort of float along, not really sure what they think. And as different ideas kind of come in front of them, they might go, oh, that's a good one. I might try that and that kind of thing, but really no commitments. They're quite susceptible, I guess, to the ideas and opinions of other people. The third one is uh, one called identity achievement. And that is where you've both explored the question. You've wrestled hard with that particular question of identity. And also you've decided. And so in some ways you've, you've done the hard yards and you've gone, oh, what do I think? I don't know. But what about this? What about that? Who, who am I going to be in regard to this? And you've come to a considered decision. And often this ends up being quite a resilient sort of sense of identity. It's not easily buffeted, not easily challenged and that's identity achievement and then the fourth one which i think is particularly helpful for as we think about youth and children's ministry is one called identity moratorium and so that's where you have explored or you even you are exploring the question of identity but you haven't made any firm commitments so you haven't made that decision and so sometimes they call it a kind of timeout period or a, you know you put it in faith terms a period of discernment trying to trying to really wrestle through something i'm um, trying to figure out 
uh, what the truth about things are and how that will impact me as I form my identity. And it's a really, really helpful thing. Um, you haven't landed anywhere yet. Uh, and yet you are doing the hard yards of wrestling. Excellent. So we've got those four different places we could land, depending how we answer those yes and no questions. Have I explored? Have I decided? Uh, and as you said, we, all of our different identities go through this process. So we, we're we not going to be in the same square of the, that matrix for all all at once. So we're going to have different parts of our identity that we're questioning, some that we're settled with, some that we haven't even bothered to question yet. Let's put a trivial example through this just so work through it i'm thinking about you know a, a sports team and identity foreclosure is you're just following the same football team that your parents grew you up with so if your family were an afl family and they supported the sydney swans that's who you are you grew up just wearing the onesies and then the beanies and then going to the games and watching the games on tv and that's just who you are and you haven't really questioned it it's just been a normal part of your existence but a diffusion would be someone who grew up completely ambivalent to sports or maybe to teams didn't really care their parents did but they didn't really they don't really have any particular thoughts on which sporting code which football code which teams and they haven't really questioned it but they haven't really cared about it either completely indifferent and so right? they so they follow the swans when the swans are winning but when the swans aren't winning yeah that's right oh then a mate at school goes oh afl you that's stupid you should uh follow rugby union and they go oh okay i'll follow rugby union and get excited about the waratahs or uh oh no some other friend told me i should yeah ditch all that and support the a-league and as so you just kind of float around not really committed to any particular code or whatever uh, so moratorium is actually then going through that crisis of thinking about i've grown up knowing the swans um my parents are committed to the swans but i'm not sure uh maybe i don't want to be an afl maybe i want to be a rugby league supporter or put all of my eggs in the a-league basket and i'm just kind of i'm just wondering but i am exploring it unlike the diffusion who just doesn't care just kind of floats around whatever you're genuinely committed to making a decision but you don't haven't arrived at that decision yet yeah i mean maybe you maybe you'll follow ice hockey instead <laughs> that's right yeah yeah you watch one too many mighty ducks episodes and um you're just all excited so that's the moratorium and then the moratorium we're always trying to achieve achievement is that the idea that we, we should be seeking towards an identity achievement with all these questions yeah i think i think that's the idea is that you are hoping that uh, a young person or uh, you know people in i mean this happened the identity crisis identity moratorium that happens at various different ages and stages but it's a particular thing for um for young people particularly for adolescents but yeah absolutely um you're gunning for identity achievement why because you want to have a considered sense of who you are and you don't want that to be brittle and easily challenged and broken and so when the different ideas come along and when the you know the different crises or the different things in your life happen you still got a solid sense of who you are and a solid sense of the different parts that make up who you are. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's more resilient, I suppose. Mm. One of the, this is getting right into the weeds of the research, but what I really liked about Marsha's paper that he talks about this in, uh, I can put this link in the show notes for anyone who really wants to dig in deep. But because those who are in identity foreclosure, they're being persuaded by those who are making decisions on their behalf mm. and they'll just go along with those decisions they're more likely to express an endorsement of authoritarian values, obedience, strong leadership, and respect for authority. They're just looking for someone to lead them because they 
don't want to have to make the decision for themselves. Yeah, it's a security thing in, in some ways, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And we can see this uh, in a number of places where we are looking for someone to take leadership because so that we're freed from having to ask the question ourselves and it saves us the effort. And so I thought that was fascinating. Whereas someone who has arrived at achievement or even is asking at moratorium because they're exploring, they're not as susceptible to the pressure from the outside. Uh, and as you said, they've become that sort of anti-fragile, more resilient type of person. And it's really interesting actually, Tim, because obviously for a, a very young person, for a child, you, you actually, I mean, perhaps it's it's kind of a bit more appropriate to be in a place of foreclosure because, you know, your parents and the figures of authority have a more prominent place in your life. But then developmentally over time, I guess you do want to have a, um, a greater sense of agency in kind of working out you know, who you are and what, what you're going to be like and that kind of thing. And so it's not to say that someone who, you know, obeys their parents, for example, is, is in a, in a, a, you know, a bad place, but certainly as someone grows up and as they sort of wrestle with various different things, various different identity, identity questions, as they get older, you do want them to be able to uh, take a little bit more ownership for those, um, for those facets of who they are. Yeah. There's an appropriateness to the age developmental stages this and, and which is why when we look about this in the faith perspective we are very much looking at that adolescence mm. uh youth ministry space much more than the children's ministry space in terms of uh, asking about the moratorium question because it's appropriate that many children are in that uh foreclosure space because they you know developmentally that's where they're at so let's uh, think about faith we, we want to put faith through this grid in children's ministry there's uh, particularly very young children are going to have faith identity foreclosure they're going to be expressing the faith of their family and that's completely developmentally appropriate uh, but if adolescence is a time where much of our identity is going through moratorium uh, what does that look like when it comes to the topic of faith and our faith identity? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the concept of time out is really helpful, um, as well as like the concept of a period of discernment. So, you know, young people are going to have this time of moratorium on questions of faith, which is a key aspect of their identity. And so that might be characterized by, you know, they've got doubts. Is God real? Like, you know, like I'm just not sure that it's all true or questions that they have about faith or about how faith works or how faith interacts with their friends who don't believe or whatever it is. Uh, it might be characterized by exploring different expressions of church. You know, they want to try the charismatic church or they want to try the more traditional church or they want to try their friend's youth group or whatever it is. And then also, like it will be absolutely uh, characterized by exploring different Christian ethical issues. And so, I mean, I, I think it's worth pointing out as well in terms of moratorium and faith, this wrestling can be done from a position of faith. So it can be done by people who are already Christians, but it also can be done in that period where someone's deciding whether they want to be a Christian at all. Okay. So from a position of faith or a position that is not from faith yet. So yeah, I guess that those are some of the ways in which um, it'll kind of manifest. Um, so yeah, I guess this idea of a period of discernment, a period of time out, where they have a chance to really dig into the issues before they make a considered commitment to follow Christ or, or a considered commitment on any particular issue of faith. So it sounds very similar in some ways to uh, what John Westerhoff talks about. He talks about going through a period of searching faith so that you can end up 
with owned faith, but you can't get to owned faith until you've gone through searching faith. And I'm not sure if uh, Westhoff was bouncing off Ericsson or Marshall when he wrote that, I can't remember in detail, but it sounds very similar to that idea of, you know, you've got to go through this uh, place of from foreclosure through moratorium into achievement. Otherwise you actually don't get to achievement. Would that be correct? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, it, I mean, there's lots, there's lots of risks along the way that you'll send people back into foreclosure if you rush them or, or whatever it is. Uh, and we'll probably talk about some of those implications in a bit. Yeah, I, we will absolutely get very practical in just a second. One of the things that struck me though, as I was reading your article, it reminded me of there's a big movement at the moment about deconstruction. Lots of people are deconstructing their faith. It seems a particularly a millennial issue. Those who are yeah, our generation, maybe the next generation below. As I read it through, read deconstruction through your grid here, it seems like you've got a whole lot of 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds who have thought they had achievement, but it may only have ever had foreclosure. Uh, they just had inherited a particular system, an evangelical faith from just being American and around church and just sort of growing up in that culture. And it wasn't until in their 20s and 30s where it might be cultural challenges, it might be personal relational challenges, it might be all sorts of questions, actually shock them into moratorium. And because they're going through this at a later age rather than through adolescence, maybe it becomes more stark. I don't know. Have you got any thoughts on how that relates? Yeah, I mean, and certainly without wanting to downplay the real wrestles that people, people go through in terms of faith, like... That definitely could be one way in which, yeah, like a uh, deconstruction could kind of occur. It's like, you know, I, I I never really thought about my faith particularly. I mean, I, I have a I I can um, tell a story about a, a guy I knew who very very quickly after I sort of met him, you know, and we we started reading the Bible together and all this, all sorts of things like that. And not long after he he deconstructed, and the conversation that we had was really about a faith to me seemed really unrecognizable. And so I, I was kind of like, no, this isn't this isn't the faith that I know. And as it turned out, it was just it was the particular type of faith that his parents had, and that was the thing that he took issue with. That was the thing that he was kind of bucking against. Uh, and yeah, really sad story that he he lost his faith over that. Mm. But I can't help but think that perhaps if in his younger years he had a chance to really think through some of those points of uh of the christian faith that didn't quite seem right to him you know searched the scriptures for himself um had godly counsel all that kind of thing you know and this is all obviously under the lord's sovereignty but i can't help but think that maybe his faith would would have been a little bit more resilient when he then was challenged with some of the things that he was challenged with so it sounds like we actually want to provoke uh, some sort of moratorium for our teenagers. So let's get really practical here. We we will have many in our programs who are coming from Christian homes, Christian schools, who are likely in that uh, foreclosure because they are adopting the faith of their parents, which, as I said, is developmentally appropriate. Should we be provoking a, sort of a crisis or, or particular questions? How do we help them into this process of moratorium in, in the right way? Yeah, well, I like I I think. In some ways, yes, we should be provoking them. And um, I, I think one of the key ways in which to do that is to not talk as if faith is assumed or to not talk as if faith is unquestionable. Um, so, I mean, one of the things that I do with my own kids is that I, I regularly kind of, you know, talk to them about the fact that, that, you know, they'll have to think this through for themselves and that kind of thing. And certainly in youth ministry, I do the same thing. Now, that's not to undermine anyone's faith, but just to give them an opportunity to think a little bit harder about it. And so, I mean, in particular, in in terms of coming to faith, 
uh, and for for kids that have um, either for kids that are in that foreclosure and not in faith or foreclosure and in faith, uh, one of the things that's really really important, according to some of the research that Kinnaman and Matlock um, have done, is that we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't rush people to make a decision for Jesus. Now, notwithstanding, it it actually is an urgent decision. You know, it is life or death. And yet there seems to be some indication that if young people are forced into a decision through pressure or through, um, you know, just a really prevailing culture or something like that, they're more likely to lose that faith rather than hold on to it in the long term. Which is the link back to our passage right at the start, Jesus' words about considering very much thoughtful, slow consideration of whether you actually do want to give up all that you have in order to be a disciple. So what is the, how do we express that consideredness, that that slowness of asking youth to make decisions with that urgency that of course we know that Jesus could return at any moment um, and it is a life and death decision. What does that actually look like on the ground to our, for our youth ministers? Well, I mean, like it's not revolutionary at one level. So, I mean, let's think about what maybe what you, sh- what you can or should do. Like you intentionally walk, you know, next to young people, you disciple them, you teach them the Bible, you, you know, you pastor them, you evangelize to them, with them, all that kind of thing. You provide the opportunities for them to commit to follow Jesus. And, you know, just this weekend, you know, in Sydney, we've got this thing called Kick, uh, which is a, you know, a, a big event where thousands of young people come together. On the Saturday night, they give an opportunity for young people to commit to Jesus or to recommit. Now, we should be providing those opportunities in our youth ministries. And yet, if we rush or pressure young people into committing to Jesus, it's it's possible that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll rush or pressure them into a foreclosed faith that, that, you know, they'll decide to follow Jesus because that's what everyone around them does. Or they'll uh, decide to follow Jesus because their leaders who they highly esteem think that they should. And so, you know, it's really important that we don't rush or pressure them. But also, you know, when they have said that they you know, uh, if they indicate to you that you that they uh, aren't ready to commit to Jesus, you know, the reaction that we have to that, you know, we've got to be careful about that. I think, you know, the idea of kind of going, oh, that's such a shame or uh, or expressing disappointment when young people aren't ready to, ready to commit to Jesus can be another thing that can kind of send them into foreclosure or feel like that's just the thing that they have to do rather than having a considered, you know, account, counting the cost kind of faith. And this is hard when we are so passionate about young people becoming disciples of Jesus and growing in their faith as youth leaders, as we engage and we're really passionate about our crew. And then for those of us who are parents, uh, having our teenagers go through a process of moratorium where they're questioning faith and identity and struggles uh, and not freaking out. So how do we, uh, in that slow process of walking alongside the teenagers in our life, whether we're leaders or parents, how do we look after them? What does it actually look like to walk beside them in this state of moratorium? Well, I think, I mean, one of the key things is to listen to them. Uh, so in, in my article kind of uh, towards the end, there's this, I mean, kind of, this kind of raises the question, I think, well, you know, do we just leave them to their own devices? You know, if, if, if they're in moratorium and that's just normal for a teenager, do we just leave them to kind of figure things out? And absolutely, that's that's not the case. We want to be making sure that we are still committing to them. We're remaining connected to them. We're listening to what they're going on, uh, what they're going through. You know, we're asking them 
things like, you know, tell me more about that. And you're interested in their discipleship uh, and you're walking alongside them and, and discipling them along that you talking about the issues that they're facing. You're giving them time out at different times and that kind of thing. But you're remaining committed to these young people as they go through their struggles, knowing that um, it's possible that this is just a time of moratorium. And we should be wanting that. We should be wanting that period of moratorium for them, but also holding them through that process. Absolutely. Uh, there's a uh, Sean McDowell, uh, who's the son of famous apologist Josh McDowell. He t- tells the story of when he was an adolescent and he went to his dad who had this you know, world famous career as an apologist. And he went to his dad and said, oh, dad, I'm not sure whether Jesus is really real. And his dad's response was, that's wonderful, son. Gave him a big hug, told him he loved him. He said, keep seeking out truth and go wherever it leads you. And that's risky to do as a parent, right? Super risky. That's risky to do as a youth leader. Like everything in you is is wanting, I mean, far out. What's his name? Um, Josh McDowell going, no, the resurrection's true. It's this, it's this, it's this. In his head, yeah. he knows all the answers. And yet, and I think this is one of the big things, um, God is sovereign in all of this. And so, you know, um, God's made us to be a certain way and identity moratorium is going to be part of that. You don't leave young people to their own devices and, you know, out in the cold. You walk alongside them and, you, yeah, you encourage them to to keep, as, as jo- Josh McDowell said, keep seeking the truth. So let's say I'm a youth leader uh, and I have a parent come up to me and say, my daughter is experimenting with Hinduism, for example, and isn't sure about Jesus being the only way to heaven. How do I, as a youth leader, as a youth minister, walk beside the parent? What do I help them say? Do I just say, oh, that's fantastic. This is wonderful. This is youth moratorium, identity moratorium, and get really excited. Finally, they've arrived. Finally. (laughs) I mean, I I take it that's probably not the best way to interact with this parent. But what encouragement can I give this parent as uh, they're obviously hurting, um, worried, anxious about their child uh, and the doubts that their child might be having? What do I say to this parent? Well, to take a step back, uh, the first thing that I, I would want to say to a youth leader who's, you know, in this experience or, or, you know, has a parent come up to them and um, and say something is like, that's so great that the parent has come up to them and because this is partnership, you know, this is this means that they are uh, invested in the partnership of discipling that, uh, you know, their child in partnership with you, in partnership with the church, with the youth ministry. That's a fantastic thing. I think the, the the second thing, though, and the thing that I might say in terms of advice for the youth leader in what they might be able to say to a parent is you can tell the parent in the most appropriate way not to freak out straight away. And I think that that's because we have this understanding of adolescent development that this is what young people do. They try on identities. They try on different aspects of who they are. They ask questions. They express doubts and all these kinds of things. And so um, I guess the the advice for the parent that the youth leader might be able to, to kind of impart somehow is just listen. Listen to what their teenager is going through and find out more and walk the journey and keep praying with them, keep praying for them. And also to remember that they're not alone, that they are in partnership with the, you know, with the youth ministry, but also with, you know, if they've got godparents or if they've got other interested uh, and invested adults in their life to keep to encourage those people to keep having those conversations too. It's really important to remember that God is in control and that that is the case even when um, a child says or when a, teenager, when a teenager says something shocking. You know, one thing that I've had someone say to me is that I'm investigating Satanism 
And you really do have to kind of check yourself and go, I'm not going to freak out. And then you continue on with discipling them. So how do I know if what the child is going through is moratorium or if they have actually arrived at a place of achievement and which would be particularly painful if we think they've arrived at a place of achievement that we don't like. But either way, how do we know where the child is at or do we not need to know? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's very, very difficult to know. I guess in the spectrum from moratorium to achievement, at one end, at the moratorium end, you're going to have more kind of uh, open struggles, wrestling, you know, maybe they'll articulate more of that through to, you know, at the identity achievement end, maybe they'll be more sure of things rather than wrestling and struggling and that kind of thing. But ultimately, we don't know for sure. And so that is precisely why when we're thinking about moratorium and when we're thinking about the the identity crisis that young people go through, particularly in regards to faith, that we don't leave them to their devices. We continue on discipling them. We walk beside them. We don't put pressure on them. We don't rush them. We don't, you know, force their hand, but we continue to um, to walk alongside them in discipleship. You know, we continue to encourage them to keep um, wrestling with those things and talking with their friends and talking with their youth leaders and uh, talking with the other the other adults that are interested in their discipleship as well. Which helps us when we have a, an appropriate idea of what discipleship is, which is it a lifelong journey of following Jesus. And potentially there's going to be lots of things that we will continue to rediscover and question and to think about as we go through from a position of faith. And in some sense, that's what maturity in faith is, as we, yeah, Paul talks about moving from milk to meat and you know growing up in faith there's going to be things you know i'm sure that there's going to be things in the next 20 years that i continue to come back to and question and wrestle with and think about and come to new convicted understandings of and put that through again so it's it's not just uh something that's right in adolescence and you're either in you're out it's a one time only that's it never again you continue to walk in this discipleship process and for those who have young people in their lives who have opted out and it seems that they've hit a place of achievement that's outside of faith that doesn't mean it's the end either they still you know if god is patient and jesus does not yet return then we still continue to have moments where they can come back to that place of moratorium and questioning and wondering and asking those questions and you've, you've raised i think a really important um, point there tim as well is is that you know we allow developmental psychology to serve our discipleship and yet God is the Lord over developmental psychology. And so I don't care if a young person is, has landed firmly in achievement away from faith. God is still powerful. God, God is still sovereign over all things. And so, of course, he can, he can override adolescent psychology. It's no problem. Absolutely. I mean, we get very excited at YouthWorks about the 80% of Christians in our churches became Christians and made a decision for Jesus before the age of 20. But there's 20% of people that made a decision for Jesus after the age of 20. You, mm. there's, it's not like you're locked in. Uh, so it is an effective time. And, and the moratorium, I think, has explanatory power on why it is that so many have made achievement-type decisions for Jesus, to use a developmental language, that they've made choice for Jesus during those adolescent or childhood years. And yet, as you say, Jesus is sovereign, the Spirit is always at work, and there is no one that the Spirit can't save. Well, that's a very encouraging place to wrap up this episode. Al has written a whole article. You can find that in the show notes below. Al, thanks for joining me and talking about Youth Moratorium. I hope this has been encouraging for each of you that it will help you to have effective youth ministry, in particular, in your local church. 
The Effective Ministry podcast is a production of YouthWorks in Sydney. We want to see effective youth and children's ministry in every church. And one of the ways that you can help us do that is by letting people know about this podcast in all the usual ways, like comment, share and review on your favorite social media and podcasting platform. If you've got comments, thoughts or questions for this podcast, you can email us at effectiveministrypodcast at youthworks.net and also check out youthworks.net for other ways that YouthWorks can help you have an effective youth and children's ministry in your church.